Welcome to your go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it? Gaming? Wait for it? Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you gotta do is wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Wait For It Podcast, and welcome to the latest edition of the Amity Phil Horror. I'm your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And welcome back. For any of you that are brand new to the podcast and you've never heard of this particular series, it's one of my opportunities where I get a chance to talk about all things spooky, Sometimes I'll narrate some scary stories, which I've had a lot of fun doing. I'll probably do a few of those when Halloween comes back around. But overall, I am just obsessed with the paranormal and all things creepy, which is interesting because I like stories like this, like when it comes to the real life aspects of it, but I don't watch scary movies, which I know a lot of people are confused about. I'll put on a paranormal show such as Ghost Hunters or Paranormal Caught on Camera, something along those lines way before I watch an actual like horror movie. So I'd be interested to know if any of you are like that as well, because I've always had a fascination with the paranormal realm. I've done past episodes on things such as the Ghost of St. Augustine. If you're local here in Florida, you'll know about the St. Augustine Lighthouse. I've been there many times, had my own experiences there. It's really, really cool. I've also covered some other haunted locations. I've done Black Eyed Kids, which I recently found out that the Black Eyed Kids episode I did a few years ago actually was scrubbed when we erased a lot of episodes that weren't very good quality. So that gives me the opportunity to revisit that topic, which I'll probably do with a guest here very soon. But anyway, if you're not necessarily interested in the paranormal, that's totally fine. Make sure to check out our library for the rest of our content. I promise there is something here for everybody, but I also promise you're going to have a good time if you choose to stick around. For all of you returning listeners, welcome back. Thank you guys so much for joining me and for allowing me to do this really interesting series. I always have a lot of fun doing it, and the feedback is always great. As you can see in the title today, we are going to be talking about Florida hauntings as well as urban legends. Now, these five stories that I found, for the most part, are all rooted in true stories. They're also real locations. So if you do find yourself in Florida and wanting to kind of look into these, keep in mind to be respectful. You can actually go visit all of these places here that I'll be talking about. So as always, whether or not it's paranormal related, be respectful whenever you're visiting and whenever you're a guest. Additionally, all of my sources will be placed in the show notes for this episode. And I want to give you a trigger warning here. We are going to be talking about some pretty messed up content here. There are mentions of a serial killer in this episode as well. So just want to give you guys a heads up again, if that's going to be triggering for you, I don't blame you one bit for leaving right now. So let's take a trip around this weird state that the Wait For It podcast calls home. For any of you that are not from around here, you know all about how crazy Florida is. And I'm going to be honest with you, even some of the stories that aren't true aren't really that far off base because this is a crazy and fucked up state. Let's get into the first story that I came across, which is the Bloody Bucket Bridge located in Wachula, Florida. I don't know if it's Wachula or Wauchula. It's not important. Anyway. Hardy County is home to the Bloody Bucket Bridge, or the Bloody Bucket Road, I also found as well. It's not the actual name of this road, but it is what everybody calls it, because many years ago, an ex-slave woman came down from Georgia with her husband and settled in Wachula. 
She served as the midwife for this community and allegedly had delivered several hundred babies. Being concerned that some families already had too many children to feed, legend states that the woman decided to help out by eliminating a few right after birth. She would smother the babies and take them down to the bridge and bury them in the woods along the river. People became suspicious after so many babies had died while being delivered by her. Some say that she was deranged because she could not have any children of her own or that her children had been taken from her while she was a slave. After people refused to allow her to deliver any more babies, the woman went crazy. The souls of the babies came back to haunt her. It is claimed that she could sit beside a bucket and it would fill with blood of all the infants she had killed. She would empty the bucket and it would fill with blood again. She wore herself out by carrying the blood-filled buckets to the bridge where she would empty them out in the river. One day, while emptying a bloody bucket in the river, the old woman fell and drowned. For several days following her demise, the river ran red with blood. And that is how the bridge became known as Bloody Bucket Bridge. And it seems like the name also carried on over to the road. Now, this is a story that is classic urban legend. It's pretty difficult to assess the validity of a story like this. It certainly sounds like a story that would be made up to kind of scare kids in the area. If you're curious, Wachula is located in, I would say, like, central South Florida. It's between Lakeland and Fort Myers, if you ever wanted to check it out. But there are a couple of firsthand accounts that are on this website from weirdus.com. This one comes from user Michelle1979. There's a bridge in Wachula called Bloody Bucket Bridge, and if you go there at certain times and look at the river water, it will be red like blood. This happens only when the moon is full and you have to go there at night because in the daytime you can't see it. We went there just to see if it was true, and yes, the water did look red. We shined a flashlight down there on the water and it was red as blood. My friend said it was because of the tannic acid from the tree roots that grow along the river, but I don't think so. It is much too red for tannic acid. There's a story about people pouring blood in the river, but I don't know if it was human or cow or some other blood. Another first-hand encounter coming from a user named Buddy X. On Halloween night in 2003, we parked near the canoe launching place by the bridge and walked down that road called Bloody Bucket after hearing about the legend just to see if we could see anything. I was with my friend and two other people. It is a really scary place and I don't advise anybody with a faint heart to go down there at night. There are sounds that come out of the woods by the river that sound like children crying. There's a story that a woman killed her babies and buried them in the woods right where we had heard those sounds. We stood very still and tried to listen to the sounds to see if we can make them out. One of the guys said it could be birds roosting in the trees, but the rest of us did not think so. It sounded too much like crying. As we were standing there, something ran out of the woods and crossed the road. It scared the crap out of us. We literally ran back to the car and got out of there. There is something real strange on that road. You can go check it out yourself. So that's Bloody Bucket Road slash Bridge. Don't know if it's a place that I would want to visit, but... You know, maybe if we got a group of people together, you always seem to have a little bit more courage when you go in a group, but I would still be terrified. Let's move on to the next one, which is the Devil's Chair. Now, this is located in Casadega, Florida. Casadega is located about northeast of Orlando, so in between Orlando and Daytona Beach. The Devil's Chair is a wide brick bench that legend has it was built by the devil himself. Each night at midnight, the devil returns to lounge in his chair, Rumor has it that if you sit on it, he whispers evil ideas to you and you're forever haunted by the experience. There's also another story that states if you leave a full can of something like a beer or a soda can, 
Supposedly in the morning, the can will be empty, but the can will still be closed, meaning the can has somehow been drained of its liquid by some sort of dark force. Now, I think a lot of the lore around this story is just centered around the fact that it is in a cemetery. There is a logical reason for this chair existing in the cemetery and many other cemeteries. It's for visitors. You know, people are visiting their lost loved ones and it gets hot as shit in Florida for those of you that don't know. So putting a place for someone to just rest makes a whole lot of sense. But additionally, Casadega is also known as the psychic capital of the world due to the large number of psychics and mediums who have made their home there. So who knows, maybe all of that energy has conjured up something. I don't know if it's the devil himself, but you never know. There are also other devil's chairs throughout the country. There's one in Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, New York, Ohio, Vermont, Georgia, and there's actually even one in Italy. So this is a phenomenon that you can actually see in other places as well. Moving on to the next one, this is a story that was actually pointed in my direction by my friend Allison. Shout out to you, Allison. And it's called The Devil Tree, which is located in Port St. Lucie. Port St. Lucie is located north of West Palm, so down there in South Florida. In the quiet Oak Hammock Park, there exists a tree that has more dubious intentions than one might first expect. This has been the site of numerous murders, bizarre sightings, and other strange activities. Locals have heard countless stories of the tree and warn others to never come near it after nightfall. Fortunately, the park has a strict curfew at sunset, disallowing any visitors hoping to experience its influence. Now, this is the one that is rooted in certifiable truth, and it pertains to a man named Gerard John Schaefer. Schaefer was an ex-policeman who was convicted in 1973 of only two mutilation murders. However, it is believed he is responsible for at least 30 more killings. Schaefer would lure young women off the roads with the help of his badge to sexually assault, torture, mutilate, and murder. Schaefer had a pretty messed up childhood, which you hear about a lot when it comes to serial killers. He had a lot of really disturbing tendencies early on, especially when it came to experimenting and what kind of like excited him is what I'll say. Again, I'm not going to go fully into detail. If you guys want to read about it, you can check the link below. Now, as I mentioned, he was convicted of only two murders, but investigators would later uncover a slew of possible victims and missing person reports that were most likely part of Gerard's handiwork. In prison, he bragged that he had killed more than 30 girls and women. He had become a sheriff's deputy in Martin County, Florida. He would prowl the streets and byways of the state, using his badge to attract victims. He was apparently very charming and oftentimes gregarious, and that demeanor worked to his advantage. On July 21st, 1972, Schaefer plucked up from the streets two teenage girls named Nancy Trotter and Paula Sue. They were both hitchhiking, which was very, very common back in the 70s. He kidnapped them and took them to a remote woodland and tied them to trees where he threatened to kill them or sell them into prostitution. As he was about to get rid of the girls, his radio screeched and he was called away to a police emergency. He left both girls tied up and promised to return. Miraculously, Nancy and Paula managed to wiggle out of their bonds and then ran to the nearest police station. Ironically, the police station they ran to was actually Schaefer's own station. When Schaefer returned to the groves and discovered that his would-be victims had vanished, he called his station and insisted that he had done, quote, something foolish. He went on a long-winded explanation, telling the sheriff that he had simply pretended to kidnap the two girls in order to, quote, scare them silly. Schaefer's boss didn't buy it, Gerard was stripped of his badge, and slapped with a battery of charges. Despite all of that, Schaefer managed to post his bail and was released from prison. 
two months later, in September of 1972, Schaefer abducted, tortured, and butchered Susan Place, who was the age of 17, and Georgia Jessup, 16. He buried their corpses right underneath the now-famous Devil Tree in Oak Hammond Park in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Months later, after Schaefer had beaten the rap for kidnapping Nancy and Paula, a couple of hikers came upon the decomposing and mutilated remains of Place and Jessup. The autopsy revealed that both girls had been tied to a tree at some point, and further investigation turned up documented eyewitness accounts that said the girls were known hitchhikers. There were just too many similarities, and a warrant was issued for Schaefer's house. During the search, policemen recovered violent stories he had written that were just full of accounts of all of his deeds. It was a diary of all his victims. Even more damningly, the experts found personal possessions such as jewelry, diaries, and in one case, teeth from at least eight young women and girls who had gone missing in the recent years. Schaefer was charged with the deaths of Place and Jessup. In October 1973, he was pronounced guilty and given two life sentences. Officials soon declared that he was linked to around 30 missing women and girls. On December 3rd, 1995, Schaefer was found knifed to death in his cell. Fellow inmate Vincent Rivera was sentenced in 1999 of stabbing Schaefer and had 53 years and 10 months added to the life plus 20 year sentence he was already serving for double murder. Now, on to some of the stories here. Now, how many women were tied and killed on the Devil Tree is still up for debate. Nonetheless, many believe that the Devil's Tree is permeated with the darkness that Gerard John Schaefer freed into the world. It is a skin-crawling locale full of nasty things and supernatural events. Here are some things that go down at the Devil Tree. Satanists heard about the killings and chose the Devil Tree as a new sacrificial site and meeting place. More than four women and counting have been found in the nearby area, many showing signs of having been tied or chained to a tree and violently abused. There are countless reports of hikers hearing odd sounds and singing through the pines and oaks. Hooded figures are known to prowl the area. Sightings of these strange hooded figures have only swelled during the years. The trails have become ominous, and in many cases, vegetation has even ceased to grow in certain patches. And my friend Allison actually shared a photo with me when she went to visit. And it's true, there's literally nothing growing around this tree, and it's also much darker than its surroundings. Like, obviously, there are natural explanations that can be looked into, but when you just see that it's surrounded by green, but that particular area doesn't have any grass growing around it, and the tree itself is just very dark, it's very strange. The area is, as you can imagine, filled with ghost sightings. Many believe that the spirit of the victims of Gerard hunt the forest. Folks who have taken a piece of the tree, say a branch or bark, oftentimes come to some sort of misfortune immediately afterward. I don't know why the hell you'd want to bring that home. And it's also been described that the screams of young women can also sometimes be heard emanating from the nearby bathrooms. So just a true story about a terrible man and also just a really sad story about the lives that were lost. I talked about this in my Ghost of St. Augustine episode. It's not surprising that there's that kind of energy there, especially when such horrible things have happened. Even if you're not necessarily sensitive, which I talked about this with Sapphire Sandala when she came on, like I don't consider myself to be a sensitive, but you can pick up on when energy is just off. And this sounds like a place where the energy is just dark. Let's move into the next one here. And we always hear about Florida Man. We talk about Florida Man on our series, What Did I Miss from time to time? But this is a truly, truly chilling and messed up Florida Man story. And it's about a man named Count Carl Van Cosell. During the Great Depression, Cosell, a 50-some-years-old German immigrant, worked as a civilian x-ray technician at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West. 
In truth, he was not a count, and his real name was Karl Tanzler, but he did come from Germany where his ex-wife and two daughters lived. He made many claims that he had nine university degrees, had been a submarine captain, and was an electrical inventor, but in truth, he was just a lonely man living in a fantasy world. While working in the Marine Hospital, he met a 22-year-old patient named Alia Hoyos. She was a beautiful young Cuban girl who had been an entertainer until contracting tuberculosis. Von Kosel fell in love with Elena, even though she consistently resisted his advances. By her expert reports, Von Kosel knew that Elena only had a short time to live. He convinced the young patient that he would cure her with a special x-ray machine combined with daily doses of a certain tonic made from gold and water. Count Von Kosel began administering his miraculous treatments to Elena along with a proposal of marriage, which was met with a strong disapproval from her father. Von Kosel was obsessed with Elena and was willing to do anything to win her affection. He gave Elena's family many gifts with promises that he would restore her life. In a short time, Elena's disease progressed and eventually led to her death. She was first buried in a common grave, but the despondent Von Kosel obtained approval from her family to move her body to a nice stone mausoleum. During the move, he found that Elena's body had never been embalmed and was in a horrible state of decay. Von Kosel hired a local mortician to clean and fix up the body before placing it in the new tomb. What the family did not know is that Von Kosel had the only key to the crypt. Von Kosel became so obsessed with his morbid love affair that he secretly visited Elena every night, bringing gifts and flowers, and according to some accounts, he had even installed a telephone into her tomb so he could talk to her. He believed that she could communicate with him through voice and song. After two years, Von Kosel removed Elena's remains from her tomb and took them to a makeshift laboratory he had built inside the wingless fuselage of an old airplane behind the Marine Hospital. There he began to work on Elena's corpse by wiring it together and using wax, plaster of Paris, and glass eyes to restore her to life. When he learned that the military had planned to move the old airplane fuselage, he secretly moved Elena's corpse to his house on Flagler Street. Here he dressed Elena in a wedding dress and often slept with her as his wife. To keep her body preserved, he rubbed on various oils, chemicals, and perfume to mask the odor of decomposition. He continued restoring her facial features using mortician's wax, but local folks became a little suspicious when Von Kosel kept buying perfume and women's clothing and a paperboy reported that he had seen Von Kosel through a window dancing with a big doll. This started Frankenstein-like rumors circulating around town that Von Kosel was up to something strange in his house. This quickly led to gossip that Elena's corpse was inside his house. Elena's sister Nana demanded that Von Kosel tell her the truth about the rumors. Reluctantly, he agreed to show Nana her dead sister's corpse all dressed in a wedding gown and propped up in a chair. That was it. She had immediately gone to the police. Count Von Kosel was arrested and charged with grave robbing and abusing a corpse. He was convicted of grave robbery, but by the time the case went to trial, the statute of limitations had expired and no sentence was imposed. During the trial, Von Kosel told the court that he had planned to use an airship to take him and Elena, quote, to the stratosphere so radiation could penetrate her tissues and restore her to life. The trial was so weird that it attracted not only the media, but a huge crowd of curiosity seekers. What really outraged the judge was when Von Kosel asked if he could have Elena's body back. Because there had been so much publicity about the case, officials decided to put Elena's corpse on public display at the local funeral home so the curious could view it. Afterwards, Elena's remains were put into a metal box and buried in a secret location. None of this stopped Von Kosel's weirdness. He began charging tourists 25 cents to tour his laboratory. After the tourists stopped coming for his macabre tours, Von Kosel used dynamite to blow up Elena's old mausoleum and left town. 
For the next decade, he resided in Zephyr Hills, where he died in 1952. When authorities found him, he was clutching a life-size doll with a face that resembled Elena's. It was later learned that Von Kossel had made and secretly kept a death mask of his former bride of death. Man, talk about a strange story. And like I said, when it comes to Florida Man, this is almost as Florida Man as it can possibly get. Oh my God. Can't even imagine being Elena's parents, being her family, and this man who is much older than her just becomes obsessive. It's, oh God, it's just really gross. And I can't believe that the town just put her corpse on public display. This was less than 100 years ago. It's wild to think that this actually happened. But let's move on to the final story here. And I decided to end it a little bit lighter. And we're going to head to Disney World to talk about George, who supposedly haunts the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Now, some of you may have heard of this before. There are a few different variations of backstory when it comes to George. The most popular one is probably that George was a construction worker who was hired to build the brand new Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Magic Kingdom. During construction, George either fell off or was crushed by a large piece of the set, possibly a falling beam, which killed him instantly. Other variations say that the tall window tower that can be seen during the well-dunking-slash-burning city scene is the piece of the set that killed George. Some cast members now reportedly refer to this as George's Tower, and it allegedly contains his initials carved into the base. Supposedly, all attempts to remove the initials are fruitless, and it always reappears, even if it's painted over. Shortly after the park opened, a sad, older-looking woman would periodically visit the attraction and ask to ride alone. Cast members then reported seeing her speak to nobody and sobbing into her ride boat. As you expect, she was revealed to be George's heartbroken mother. Now, George haunts the Disney World attraction and will make life difficult for cast members and guests, lest they show him the proper respect. It seems like George isn't a malicious spirit, but he is a very mischievous one. The most famous part of the myth says that cast members have to wish George a good morning and farewell at the start of the day and before they leave at night. If they don't, he'll make life tough for them by causing the Pirates of the Caribbean ride to malfunction and break down throughout the day. Allegedly, some cast members will even blame issues on the evening team for not saying goodbye to George the night before. George will even respond to guests if they demonstrate a bad attitude and will punish them for their complaining by messing with the ride. Some say that George has a thing for haunting female guests too, as there have been reports of women feeling a hand pat their rear or pull their bra strap. As you expect, when they turn around, there's nobody there. According to some versions of the myth, if the light in George's tower is switched on during the burning city scene, it means a difficult day is ahead. Another account says that the door behind the iconic prison dog is also related to George's spectral antics. Apparently, if the door isn't shut by cast members, you can expect ghostly happenings and paranormal activity. If both the door is open and the tower light is on, well, maybe just head to Disney's Hollywood Studios Park on that day instead. Some reports say that George's curse will also lead to other ghostly annoyances for anybody dressed in a pirate costume. Cast members have reported seeing ghostly apparitions on the monitors and received phone calls from no one, seemingly all thanks to George, the Pirates of the Caribbean ghost. With all ghost sightings, it's kind of hard to verify this evidence other than having a lot of eyewitness stories, which I think are really, really cool. There were never any reported deaths of a construction worker at Pirates of the Caribbean, but let's not put it beyond a company to want to kind of bury that with, you know, hush money, something along those lines. I'm just saying it's very possible. But all ghost stories originate from somewhere and maybe have some sliver of truth. So maybe next time you're on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney World, just tell George hello and, you know, hope that he has a good day. That's it for this episode of the Amity Phil Horror. I hope you guys enjoyed that. There were many, many stories that got left on the cutting room floor for Florida. So I'll probably revisit this. Maybe I'll do another state 
I'm sure there's a shit ton in my other home state, which is Texas. Maybe I can revisit that in the future. But let me know if you guys enjoyed this. Thank you all so much. Again, for any of you new listeners, you can find the podcast on literally every major podcast streaming platform. However, if you're listening on Apple Music or Spotify, if you could leave us a five-star review, that would really, really help. It's one of the best ways you can support the show. Make sure to check out the show notes for our YouTube link to all of our live streams. Eric and I just did a live stream for Miss Marvel, the latest Disney Plus MCU show. And as always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Wait For It Podcast and on Twitter at Wait For It Pod. Make sure to keep up with that social media. We have a whole lot planned for the remainder of the year, and we hope you guys enjoy all of that. Once again, my name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. Do not forget, you can find new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. And all you got to do is wait for it. So, I heard you're looking for a go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it? Gaming? Wait for it? Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you got to do is wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast.